Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. 
And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar, of full, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was all that and they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but the one but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place in the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and again another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they lay Jesus there. Good afternoon and thank you for uh, joining us for our Good Friday meditation. certainly want to wish you a Good Friday. It's a, a great day as we reflect on the great price that Jesus paid in order to secure our forgiveness with God. As we know as believers, it was on the cross where Jesus bore God's wrath for our sin. It's a reminder of the seriousness of sin. It's a reminder of the great love of God through the price that was paid by our Lord and Savior. And it's a reminder for us to take seriously the importance of living our lives in a way that reflects God's glory and His goodness. I'd like to open with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much this day for your faithfulness Thank you, Lord, for the life that you lived, a life without sin or failure, a life where you completely fulfilled the will of God, and a life that you gave on the cross, dying as a sinner, bearing the very wrath of God for the sins that we have committed, in order that all who turn to you in faith would have that sin forgiven, we would be given credit for your righteous life, and we would be restored to the Father forever. Lord, I pray for 
help in speaking quickly and speaking well this afternoon. Lord, I pray for help for those who will hear. Lord, for the believers, I ask that you would strengthen their faith and, Lord, make this a day of of truly reflecting upon your greatness and your great love for us. Lord, for those who don't believe, I pray that this would be the day that their eyes are open, that they would see the sacrifice of Jesus as something that they need, they desperately need, in order to flee from the wrath that is to come, Uh, but even more importantly, that they would enter into your eternal love and uh, relationship with you. So help me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I started off, you, uh, or, or as the video started off, you heard different voices, and that was my family helping me out by reading John chapter 19, and I'd just like to to begin by thanking them uh, for their willingness to put themselves out there and do that for me. I hope it was a blessing to you uh, to hear that uh, chapter read by other voices as well. Also, you may notice a little bit of a change of scenery here. I decided to come over to the sanctuary in order to do this devotional. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the the speaker looks the same even though the background is different but i i trust that you won't hold that against me some things are out of our control but let's jump right in now you may have noticed when uh we the reading started for the scripture that we really were jumping right in the middle of something yeah i mean it it starts with then Pilate took jesus and flogged him There were things that had to go on before that, right? Yeah, we're jumping right in the middle. And uh, what I would really like to encourage you to do this weekend is to go back and actually begin reading at John chapter 13. In chapter 13, John begins to record uh, the events that took place uh, on the very night before Jesus was crucified. So there are a number of chapters there dedicated to Uh, What was done and said in the upper room, Uh, John records Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He records the betrayal by Judas. He records uh, Jesus' trial before uh, the high priest Caiaphas and his father-in-law Annas. He records the uh, denials by Peter, and he records the beginning of interaction between Pilate and Jesus. And we're going to come back to that in just a few moments. But uh, to help you grasp that big picture and to increase your sense of reverence and worship this weekend, I would really encourage you to go back and and at least begin at uh, chapter 13. Now, there's one word that really comes to my mind when I think of the Gospel of John, and that is the word witness. And witness is something that you really see throughout the entire gospel. It begins in chapter 1 as John sets forth John the Baptist as one who was sent as a witness to the light, Jesus, the light of the world, uh, the Son of God sent to redeem mankind. Later in chapter 1, John refers to the disciples as those who have seen and heard and witnessed the ministry of Jesus. And then throughout the Gospel of John, you have these little uh, indications that that. John is an eyewitness to everything that he's writing about, and and that really does uh, 
add a lot of weight to what he says. He, he's not passing on uh, something that he heard someone else talk about or some story that's been passed down. Uh, but he writes as one who is a f- eyewitness to all that Jesus did and said. And, and that's powerful. So, uh, so keep that in mind as we consider John chapter 19. Now we know that John wrote his gospel so that we would know that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And not just that we would know this, but more importantly, that we would believe and receive life in his name. And this life that, that, that John wants us to experience, to receive, is unavailable to us apart from what took place on Good Friday in the sacrifice of Christ our Lord. Now, this past Sunday, we studied from the Gospel of Luke the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the the arrival of the King of Peace, which really offered a, a picture of peace to his people. This afternoon, on this Good Friday, we see that the price of peace truly was the very life of Christ important that we remember that the death of Jesus, the King of Peace, was not accidental. It was his destiny before the world was created. Don't believe me? Go and read Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that the plan of salvation, even, even the work of salvation in our lives, is something that God had planned before the world was made. As we read the Gospel of John, we see also that the Old Testament points to this reality as well. It was always Jesus' destiny to die for his people. And our eyewitness, John, is faithful to point this out time and again in his Gospel. Now, I mentioned before that chapter 19 jumps right into the middle of Jesus' trial and his mistreatment by the Romans and the Jews. Uh, Chapter 18, as I said before, recorded his arrest and his trial for the high priest. And I want to read uh, chapter 18, verses 33 through 40, which is Jesus' initial interaction with Pilate. John chapter 18, beginning at verse 33. John writes, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? 
they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. That's an interesting interaction that we see between Jesus and Pilate, and it reveals that Jesus is indeed a king, and he's a king over a kingdom that that does not have earthly boundaries. He is a king over a kingdom that is not limited to, to one nationality. He is a king over a kingdom of truth. And those who belong to this kingdom have had their eyes and their hearts opened to the truth of the gospel and have responded in faith to what Christ has done. Now in chapter 19, verses 12 through 16, Pilate gives us some unwitting uh, true proclamations about who Jesus is. Let me read chapter 19, verses 12 through 16 to you. It says, from then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Pilate makes two very true statements, even though he probably has no idea how right he was. When he brings Jesus out, he says, Behold your king. And then in response to their cries for Jesus' death, he he asked the question, Shall I crucify your king? Now, he may have been sarcastic, but his words were true. This was the king of peace. This was God's king sent to redeem his people, being treated shamefully. In verses 17 through 37, we see the crucifixion and death of Jesus. In verse 18, we see that Jesus was crucified between two criminals. Now, who should have been hanging in the middle of of those two criminals was not Jesus, but Barabbas. In, In verses 23 and 24, we see a king's clothes divided. This was a fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 18, where the Roman soldiers are at the foot of the cross as Jesus is hanging there and they are casting lots over his tunic and dividing up his outer garment so they can take away a trophy from this momentous occasion in their eyes. What a perverse situation. And then in verses 25 and following we see an interesting sidebar that takes place. Jesus looks out into the crowd and he sees his mother, Mary. And it says, When he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, why would John include something like this? 
Uh, And I think the answer is clear. When John wrote this, he was still alive. And as people read this, obviously, they could have verified the fact that Mary was still under his care. This is another reminder that John is an eyewitness. He he makes himself known as an eyewitness again uh, in, in verse 35 after the death of Jesus. And after he's been pierced with a spear, This is what he writes. He says, He who saw it has borne witness, speaking of himself. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. Again, we are reminded this has been witnessed by the man who records these events. Verses 28 through 30, we find Jesus' last words. He he it says, After this, Jesus knowing that 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 all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, and a a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. This is a fulfillment of Psalm 69, verse 21, where it says that that, that his enemies would, would feed him sour wine to drink. That statement that last statement from the cross in verse 30 it is finished it is the proof that that Jesus sacrifice was complete he had finished the task that the father had set before him in order to redeem a people and it says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit now earlier Jesus had told the Pharisees that no one could take his life from him he would have to lay it down And in this instance, we see that he laid his life down. He gave up his life for his people. There are two other things I want to highlight as I close uh, from verses 31 through 37. And the first is when the Pharisees ask that the, the bodies have their legs broken so they will die more quickly so they can get about their business in preparing for the Sabbath. Says the soldiers broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that, his le- that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. And in verse 36, it says, For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. Now, the statement about none of his bones being broken is a, is a quote from Psalm 34, but that's also in reference to uh, God's requirements for the Passover lamb. At the initial Passover, uh, when God was sending that tenth plague uh, upon Egypt, he, he told the people that they would need to sacrifice and mark their doorpost with the blood of a lamb. And in prepara- preparation for that lamb, they were not to break its bones when they sacrificed it. And here in Jesus, we find the ultimate Passover lamb, and his legs are not broken either. Not one bone shall be broken 
And that second reference, they will look on him whom they pierced, is, is a reference to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And that goes on to say that all of Jerusalem will look upon the one whom they have pierced and they will mourn. So John is making it crystal clear that the things that have taken place, the things that he is an eyewitness to, are the fulfillment of God's word. John chapter 19 ends with Jesus in the tomb. We, we leave him at the tomb this night, but as those who know the rest of the story, we know that he didn't stay there. We can call this a Good Friday because even though in the, the mistreatment and the unrighteous actions towards our, love and sa- our Lord and Savior, we have redemption But the disciples, they did not yet know. They were devastated. They did not understand that all of this had to happen. Jesus had to give his life to save his people. Brothers and sisters, he didn't simply die in Barabbas' place on the cross. He died for us. He died in our place according to the plan of God and according to the fulfillment of his word. Let these truths prepare us to to, to wake up on Sunday morning with great joy as we celebrate the knowledge that all who have turned to him in faith are now righteous in God's sight. Bless you, brothers and sisters.